The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. If you'll take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 26. What we're going to see through this chapter as Isaac's life begins to unfold before us is the ever overwhelming fact of God's presence in Isaac and Rebekah's life. I mentioned earlier, I, I really sense God's presence in our worship this morning. It's not some aura that comes down out of the clouds, but it's a reality and a fact that, that God is always present. The question is, for me, do I acknowledge God's presence? We know that God is present today to speak to someone who has a question today as they've been wrestling with God, as it were, to find answers or solutions. God's present to answer that today. God is present to heal today, whether it be a physical healing or an emotional healing. God is present. God is present even through Facebook Live to those that are engaging in worship today because of a concern of COVID infection. Where they are, God is present. You see, the reality of one of the theological truths that the Scriptures portray to us about God is that God is ever present. We have a theological term that we use to describe that where we say that God is omnipresent, that he's present in all places at all times. He's present within the space and time that we know, and he's present outside of the space and time that we know. God is present everywhere. It's not the idea that a pantheist might have in saying that, well, God is present in that speaker or God is present in that TV screen. That's pantheist. That's believing that God is, is a part of every rock and every tree. That's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that God personally is present in all places, at all times, and in every situation. A.W. Tozer describes God's presence and how we ought to think about him in his book, Born After Midnight. A.W. Tozer says this, we should never think of God as being spatially, in other words, confined to space, near or remote, for he is not here or there, but he carries here and there in his heart. Space is not infinite as some have thought. Only God is infinite, and in his infinitude, he swallows up all of space. What we think of as space and time were never in existence before, in the beginning, God created. All that we have that we think of as space and time, it is what God has created. So God is beyond space and time, and all of space and time is encompassed in God. A.W. Tozer goes on to write this. He swallows up all space. Quote, do I not fill the heaven and earth, saith the Lord? He fills heaven and earth as the ocean fills the bucket that is submerged in it. As the ocean surrounds the bucket, so does God, the universe that he fills. 
The heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, quoted. God is not contained, God contains. Now, it is a mind-blowing, mind-stretching thing to think about the all-presence nature of God in all of the created universes, if I can put that in plural. Astrologists tell us that there, there are literally 100,000 million galaxies out there, and they're continuing to expand. Even today, they, they continue on and on. And if you were to take all of those hundreds of thousands of millions galaxies and compress them in a bucket, they would be washed, fully saturated by God's presence. You see, God not only fills it, but God surrounds it as well. Our mistake is that when we take God and treat him as an item, as if we can examine God, that he can even be examined. How unsearchable are your ways, the Scriptures say. God fills all space. God controls all space. God is outside of all space. And God is a most powerful God in that he is not only present out there, he's present here. And the beautiful thing for those of us who are believers, he is present in us as well. Does that blow your mind? It ought to. It ought to cause us to praise. When I consider the heavens... When I consider the works of your hands, how great are you, God, when we look at who God is and his omnipresence, his being that's present. In this quote, A.W. Tozer quotes two Old Testament passages. The first one, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. I'll read that for you so you don't have to turn there. God says through Jeremiah the prophet, am I a God who is only near... This is the Lord's declaration. And not a God who is far away. Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? This is the Lord's declaration. In other words, am I just a God that's near? Aren't I also a God that's far off? I'm a God that is transcendent, yes, yet I am with you, Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. That God is not just a God out there, but God is a God right here. Meaning us where we are. Yet we don't want to make the mistake of saying that he's just the man upstairs. Can I tell you that is a blasphemous comment? He's not just my chum buddy. Although he is a friend and he's dear and he has relationship and fellowship with me, he is God Almighty. The second portion of Scripture that A.W. Tozer makes reference to is in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10, where David, writing in this psalm, he makes this declaration. He says, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Where can I go from the presence of God? 
I love what Billy Graham called the Holy Spirit. He called the Holy Spirit the hound dog of heaven. (laughs) I love that. We get so isolated in our own lives that sometimes we lose connection with the almighty power of God and his ever-present nature. You see, God does not, as someone has described God's omnipresence, God does not have any size or spatial dimensions, and is present at every part of space with his whole being, and yet God acts differently in different times. With respect to those of us who have come to know Christ, that that great mystery, if you will, if I can define it that way, although we see the incredible awesomeness of God, that he is outside of space and he controls all of space, yet Jesus said as he was praying for those believers to the Father, he prays, I in them and you in me, and that God is out there, but yet God resides in us. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of his glory. When we think about that, that God's vastness, his omnipresence, his control of all of the galaxies and universes, and yet he is very present residing in us. It should blow our minds and cause us to bow and kneel before him and say, great are you, God. Amen? Most often when Scripture talks about the presence of God, as you track it through, most often It refers to God's presence as being there to bless, to bless his children. Notice what Isaiah, I mean, excuse me, what David says in Psalm 16 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And can I propose to you that when we consciously acknowledge and recognize the very presence of God with us. And if you're like me, I'm just a wretched, low-down, mutt, sinning human being. Anybody else with me on that? But that God chooses to be present with me through his son, Jesus. That should amaze all of us. Now, the reason I share all this is because what we see in Genesis chapter 26 is because in the life of Isaac, the one thing that he's going to recognize, the one thing that he's going to see, the one thing that's going to become very common is that God is with him, and God is with him in three ways we see in chapter 26, verse 3. We see that God is with him in the future. Look what he says. He says, sojourn in the land, and I will be with you. That in the future, as you're going to pilgrimage in this land, Isaac, know that I am with you. Points out the fact that he is present with him in the very present. Verse 24, he says, fear not, for I am with you. And he also demonstrates that he was with him in the past. As Abimelech would say, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. Verse 26, let me ask you a question. Stop right now and think of your life. Has God been present with you in the past? Let me hear an amen to that. 
Can you look back at a time and very specifically know that throughout of that time, God was present? Can we believe that if God was present in the past, then that God is present right now, he is here, he is with us in the very present, whatever circumstance we might be going through in our life, that God is present. And having seen that, to know that if God has been faithful in the past, if God is faithful right now, then God will be faithful in the future, whatever comes our way. Sarah quoted Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for we know that God works all things together for good in the lives of those who love him and are according to, according to his purposes. But verse 29 is the key to verse 28. For those God foreknew, he predestined them to be conform to the likeness of Christ. And can I tell you this, God's main purpose and God's main work in your life and my life today as believers, that he's using everything in our lives and his intention is to conform us to the likeness of his son, Jesus. Otherwise, he'd just take us on, right? He'd just take us on to be with him. But God uses our life not only for us to be a witness for him, but also to conform us to the likeness of Christ. Now, the first thing I want us to see in verses 1 to 5 is this, is the promise of God's presence. Read with me, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, Abraham being Isaac's father. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, listen to this, do not go down to Egypt, but dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give you your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments and my statutes and my laws. The first thing I want us to recognize are the two pronouns that are used in these five verses. Five times the word I is used. I will, I shall tell you, I will be with you. To your offspring, I will give. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will multiply your spring. It is all about what God's going to do through Isaac and for Isaac, not about what Isaac can do for him. You see, the application for you and us in our lives as believers that anything that we ever might endeavor to do, anything that might come of any good from this life, it is that God, the great I am, is working through it, and it is God. It's all about God. It ain't about me. Amen. I had a good friend, Tuan Ta, Vietnamese, great theologian. Not really. Tuan used to look at Scripture and say, It's not about me, it's all about him. You know, we got to keep that in mind, that it's not about me. And in our narcissistic Christian culture, 
We tend to think that God is there for us. Can I remind you that we are there to bring glory to him? We can never bring glory to him out of ourselves. It is all God and all for his glory. The second set of pronouns are the word my. Notice what he says when referring to Abraham. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, and my statutes, and my laws. You see, the threat of famine was very prevalent in that dry and arid land, as it is today. It's a very dry, arid, very little rainfall, not many rivers there, and it's arid, and the threat, particularly in those days before modern irrigation, was that there were quite often famines that would come in the land. We saw the first instance of it when Abraham, shortly after God had called him, Isaac's father Abraham, a famine came in the land, and where does Abraham go? He goes to Egypt, where the Nile was, and the and the grass plains were, were very prevalent and there was a lot of food that could be grown there. Rather than inquiring of the Lord, Abraham immediately goes to Egypt. Well, this evidently is a place that Isaac was probably thinking, you know, if it was good enough for Abraham, then it's good enough for me and I'm going to flee to Egypt. So we know that they were very prevalent in that day. Isaac, at this instance, when he's perhaps being tempted or contemplating going down to Egypt, he gets what we call a theophany, God, very God, visiting him. Now, how many of you would love to have God visit you today? I mean, God in the flesh, right? He had one of those here. And God speaks to him, and God gives him these directions, and God reminds him how faithful he was. But then he tells Isaac this, Isaac, I'm going to paraphrase here, don't go down to Egypt where you're going to find plenty of water and you're going to find plenty of food, but I want you to sojourn right here. I want you to stay here. I want you to be a stranger. I want you to be an alien in this land of Gerar. Now, if you and I have been Isaac and, and we know that God was going to be with us, we might say, God, are you crazy? Do you realize that this is a land full of hostile pagans and I'm a, an illegal alien in the land and you're calling me to sojourn, to stay here, to dwell in this land? You see, what God was doing with Isaac was the same thing that he had to do with his father. Isaac was teaching him, Isaac... There is a promise that I'm giving to you that in the midst of this land, I will be ever present with you. Now, are you going to trust me in the midst of this dry, famined land? You see, he does the same thing in our lives often, doesn't he? You see, it's one thing to know that God is present. It's quite another thing to live out the reality of God's presence in our life. You see, I'm like Isaac and Abraham. I, I lean on my own understanding. There's a famine in the land. I got to go to Egypt. I know in my head that God is ever-present. I know in my head that I can trust God. I know that God is faithful, but living that out is quite a different story. And what I see in the life of Isaac and others throughout the Scripture is that God intentionally places them in these places so that they might learn the faithfulness and the goodness of God. second thing I want us to see is that not only was God present, given the promise of his presence, 
in the midst of this land that was in famine, that, that God was also present in the midst of Isaac's sin. Now, that's not to say that God is the author of sin. That's not to say that, that God instigates sin. The Bible tells us that's impossible for God. He cannot tempt anyone, nor does he tempt anyone to sin. But the reality is, all of us do. Can I hear a big amen to that? I'm going to recount the story, recap the story. Isaac makes the same mistake that his father makes because he goes into this land with the king Abimelech, whether it's the same king that Abraham faced, possibly. It wasn't uncommon for somebody to live 150 years in that day, or maybe it was a dynastic name that had been given to him. But nevertheless, Isaac goes into the land, and he has this beautiful wife named Rebekah. And he was afraid that they might harm him if they knew that Rebekah was his wife. Let me put it in parentheses. Abraham wasn't really concerned about Rebekah. He was concerned about his own hide because it says here, I was afraid you'd kill me if you knew that she was my wife and you take her. So he tells the same lie that Abraham had told while he was there in that same land. And then one day, Abimelech's looking out the window, and he sees him, depending on what translation, laughing with Rebekah, indicating in a way that he was having fun with her, that you don't have fun with your sister. There was something more to the story. Some of y'all have been married 50-plus years. You remember how that used to happen? No, just teasing. <laughs> goes to Isaac, and he says, Isaac, that's your wife. Why, why did you lie to me? I was afraid that if I told you that I would kill you, that you would kill me. And so in that, Abimelech relents and he rebukes him and he says, hey, throughout all the land, nobody touch Rebekah because that is Isaac's wife. Now, the one thing that I want to point out here is that Isaac's theophany, his very personal visit from God, didn't have much lasting effect. Sometimes we get the idea that if I were to just see God, if I were to just really see God work, if God were to write it on the wall for me, if God were to do this or if God were to do that, then everything would be better. I would walk better. I would walk closer. Can I tell you, we're just like Isaac. God, very God, could set down in physical form in this, and a day or two later, we might forget it and go on back to our other ways. You see, that walk with him that we talk about so much is a daily, ever-present walk. It's necessary for every one of us to draw away, to be with him, to be in his presence through his word by the Holy Spirit and a continual presence throughout the day, lest we forget that God is very present. You see, the, the sin that Isaac committed here, yes, he, he told a lie, but that's not the deepest sin that he committed. You know what the deepest sin that he committed was? His lack of faith and trust in God. Oftentimes, a present sin has its roots in a far deeper sin. You see, it may be the sin of, of me withholding my giving and my tithe. The deeper sin there is that I do not trust God who says that he will provide. The sin of not 
being engaged in the mission and sharing my story with others, the story of how Christ saved me, may not be that I'm just unwilling to do it. The deeper sin might be that I think it depends on me and not the Holy Spirit of God to draw all men to himself. You see, either God is all present and God is all powerful or he's not. We get the idea that God depends on so much of us. The last thing we see in this portion of the passage is God's mercy displayed in Isaac's sin and unbelief. Because you see, as Isaac went through, he he began to dig up the wells that his father Abraham had dug there in the midst of a famine. And every well that he dug or redug that Abraham had dug, there was water that would be there. And in the midst of all of the famine in the land, we see that God was merciful in Isaac's life, even though he was a broken, messed up man. How many of you are striving for perfection? I hope nobody raises their hand on that because we'll never attain it, not on this side. Oh, we've been made perfect in Christ positionally right now, but we still are sinners. And do we recognize that in the midst of that, God is still merciful in our lives? Have you ever had a time when God just blessed you and, and you're upset about God's blessing because you realize how much of a bonehead you are? I have. You see, God is merciful. His mercies are new every morning. The third thing that I want us to see in this is that, that God was present in the midst of conflict. The story goes on that as Isaac was digging these wells and he was hitting water, that those were within the land, the Philistines saw that, that everywhere that Isaac seemed to dig, God was blessing him, and there was water. And every time Isaac dug a well and there was water, there would be conflict between the surrounding pagan nation, and they would come in, and they would take that and seize that, and they would go to the next place to dig up another well. But in the midst of all of that, we see in the middle of famine, Isaac prospered. The thing we see in this is that God is even present in conflict. You see, one thing's for sure, we all sin. The other thing that's for sure, we will all have conflict. Some of you are in conflict today. Conflict with a family member, in conflict with a church member, in conflict with a co-worker. Conflict is inevitable. You know why? Because of point number one, we are all sinners. But God is present in the midst of conflict. And God will work away and God will work out in the midst of that conflict if we follow him and his precepts and respond to those conflicts in the way that he would call us. Notice what Isaac did. The minute a a conflict arose with one well, Isaac would pick up and he would go and dig another well. What was Isaac doing? Isaac was trusting God that in order to avoid, if you will, to to remove himself from that place of conflict, he trusted that God would provide in another way, and he went and dug up and found water in each of those places. The first well, he named Essek, which means contention. 
The second well, sitna, which means hostility, hostility. And then the third well, which finally he dug, and there was enough spring water, not only there for him, but all the other inhabitants, he called that place Rehoboth, which is room. You see, here's the astonishing thing. Although Isaac kept finding water, is that Isaac kept finding water in time of drought and famine. Fourth thing is this, verses 23 and 25. Isaac's going to get a second theophany, a second visit from God. But in this one, not only is there the promise of God's presence, but the promise and God's presence. Look what he says in verse 23. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. First time this phrase is used. That's not the same phrase that we're going to later see Moses receive from God, but the first time where God makes it in a sense where the, in the Hebrew that it is not just I am with you, but in that singular present time, I am with you. God, very God, is with you. The God of Abraham, your father, fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. God, the very present God. I love Isaac's response here at this time, very different than the first time that God appeared to him. It seems as though God had been working in Isaac's heart because at this point when, when God visits Isaac and he gives him the promise, Isaac finally recognizes that God is very God and he believes God because he builds an altar and he worships God in that place. Same thing that we see Abraham doing in Genesis chapter 12 when God had met him. You see, when we truly believe that God is with us, a deepening of faith and obedience begins to take place in our lives. I can't stress enough, I can't underline enough that we need to to really move from that theological perspective of the omnipresence of God and live daily a life recognizing that God is very present every day, every hour, every second in our lives, and that He is very active in every event of our lives. It changes the perspective of how we live this life. You see, I can look back in my life, in my Christian life, and see some decisions that I've made that I made those decisions without a real reality and perspective of God's presence in my life. And when I look back at it now through certain journeys of life, I would have made different decisions at that time. Not recognizing the presence of God makes all the difference in our lives. You see, when life goes to hell in a hen basket, right? The way we respond to that is very different if we recognize God's very presence in our life than if we just have the thought that God is present. Are you getting me this morning? Lastly, 
Let's move on to God's peace and presence. Verse 26 picks up that Abimelech comes to Isaac sometime later, and he recognizes all that Isaac had gained within that time of famine and drought in the land in comparison to everybody else that, that we see earlier that God had multiplied all of his possessions a hundred times over. Now here's Abimelech, a pagan, coming to Isaac who worshiped the one true God, and Abimelech says, I recognize, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. Now, Abimelech was looking at this from a materialistic perspective, right? Very different than how Scripture defines success or prosperity in the lives of believers today. You see, material goods are are only passing, right? They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. You've heard the old adage, I've never seen a a hearst with a U-Haul trailer behind it. Well, in American culture, it would take a semi-trailer because we have so much stuff, right? You see, the, the measurement of God's presence and the measurement of God's blessing in our lives as believers far outweighs and exceeds any material blessings we could ever gain in this life. I was disappointed this last week that our flights got canceled. We were trying to get to Nicaragua. That night, I had a lot of faith and said, well, you know, I'm trusting in the providential hand of God. The next day, I was depressed and called Harold and said, why couldn't we go? But I thought and reflected on those believers in Nicaragua. Sometimes I envy those believers in Nicaragua. You know why? Because they seem to have something that I don't have or we don't have in our Western American Christian culture. You see, they have nothing in way of facilities. They have nothing in ways of programs. They almost have nothing in ways of materials. And we fuss about a quarterly we didn't get last month. Shame on us. Oh, me or oh, my. And I think sometimes, man, I, 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 I wish that I could experience the very presence of God like they have to experience the presence of God. You understand what I'm talking about, Glenn? You see, we get so trapped in our materialistic Christianity that we often miss the very presence of God that far outweighs, far outweighs anything we could ever have materially, any program we could ever establish, any whatever in our grand scheme of American culture and Christianity. And can I propose to you, that's why we are sliding in America in the number of those who are coming to Christ and those who are being baptized. We're so caught up in our own stuff that we'll take a cheap substitute for a great experience in a worship service rather than the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit moving in our lives every single day. Can I get an amen to that? God help us. I'm in that with you. 
See, today God's presence cannot be manifested. The way that it's seen in others, like in Abimelech, he saw the material blessings. The way it's seen to a lost world today in the lives of believers who walk in the very presence of God is how they respond to the circumstances that life throws at their life. We're all touched by life, amen? See, coming to Jesus doesn't mean that we're not going to have difficulty. It doesn't mean that we're not going to die. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get sick. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have economic downturns. What the world looks at in our lives is how we respond to the same stuff that happens in their life. With permission, I asked if I could share this this morning. The Gutierrez family, I've watched over the last year. You just had one year passing of Trevor two days ago. His birthday, sorry. What has been amazing is to see the family's response in faith to God's hand in their lives. I've watched the Petresca family uh, since December gone through this diagnosis with Constantine cancer, and it's been up and it's been down. And I've watched Leah, and I've watched all three of the kids. And the thing that, that, that stands out in that is their response to life And the testimonies that we see and hear of witnesses to others in their lives, some who don't know Christ, of how the family is enduring this. Do you see what I'm talking about? You see, the world looks at material blessings, but the thing that they long for more than anything materially is some answer and some solace in the midst of this sin-wrought, affected world. And we have that to display to them. Recognizing the very presence of God, whether it's an upside to life or a downside to life, and I've got to point this out, not only do they watch how we respond to the down times in life, they also watch how we respond to the up times in life. I think of Truett Cathy, Chick-fil-A. Without any reservation, from the very beginning of his business, He made a determination that Sunday was set apart for the Lord, that he was going to keep his doors closed on Sunday, and everybody said, you're crazy, you're missing out on one-seventh of the week's revenue. God has prospered and blessed that decision. Truett Cathy, in his biography, if you've ever read it, Truett Cathy made a determination very on of the first dollar of profit that he made in his company in Chick-fil-A at the little dwarf house down there in South Atlanta. By the way, I was one of those. I lived near Greenbrier. We used to go to the first Chick-fil-A at Greenbrier Shopping Center. So that dates me a little bit, right? His very first dollar that he made in profit, do you know where it went? To his local church and tithe. And if the accounts are true, somewhere in, in this is the actual figure, I'm not quite sure, 
But it's estimated that probably 90% of his earnings went to not only the local church, but mission. He lived off the 10%. You see, we squeeze the 10% and say, (laughs) you see, the world watches that. They might think we're crazy, but they watch that. And they see the testimony of God's faithfulness in the midst of that. You see, God promised his presence in the midst of peace. Let me conclude with this. Isaac's story began with drought and famine. And I love how it ends in this chapter. It ends with abundance of water amidst drought. Let me ask three questions in conclusion. Do you believe that God will be with you with what you're facing today, what you're facing next month or you will face, what you may face next year? Do you believe that God will be with you in that? Right now, today, in the midst of whatever you might be facing, do you believe that God is with you? Lastly, Can you look back in life and see with resounding testimony of Kyle, God has been with you? The answer to those are yes, then I would say God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.